Boom. Welcome to episode three of the Power Start Podcast. This episode was actually recorded back in February, and there were some technical difficulties why I couldn't get it all together and get it up till now, but better late than never. Really great episode. I chatted with my buddy Marcelo, who is a former arm wrestler from the Toronto area. He's worked on a bunch of charity projects in the past, and he's currently has some charity initiatives that he's working on right now, which uh, I'll link everything down in the description of the video. You can get to his social media and, and follow up what he's up to now. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a former arm wrestler. We talked about all kinds of things, everything from PDs and sports, arm wrestling, and current events at the time anyways, which again, this is a, a little bit late. Um, but we talk about, you know, the pandemic and the Freedom Convoy that happened in Ottawa uh, the day following the episode we recorded. Because we did touch on the Freedom Convoy and the pandemic and mandates and whatnot and everything kind of surrounding that, I think I should make my opinion pretty clear just so nothing I say gets taken out of context. When we recorded this, this was the day before the convoy. so. You know, we had no way of knowing what was going to happen down the road. I personally do believe in removing mandates for a lot of reasons. A, a big one being I do have a lot of friends um, that have lost their jobs and their businesses due to businesses being shut down. And I think, you know, a, a bit of overreach on the government's part. So I, I personally don't think the government should, well, I don't think it should do anything, but I think they should minimize uh, their involvement in, in people's businesses and, and personal lives. I think the vaccines are great. I think, I think people are smart enough to do the right thing and to do what's best for their family. I don't feel the need to try to pressure or force or coerce people into doing things. I feel like everybody knows now what the safest route is. And I feel like in due time, everybody will do what they feel is the best and safest for everyone, right? That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm entitled to it. I, I personally don't think there is a political party or a political spectrum that speaks on all my views. I feel like I'm, I'm pretty selective on what I choose. Um, but again, I don't want to make this uh, a big political statement or a big political thing. I know we just talked about it and I do want to make it really clear what my opinions on that are. The mandates and everything, that's what we're down there for. I don't think, I think there was some messaging that was spread by certain people that, you know, propagated and maybe took the voice of the whole event over a little bit. I think most people that were there were literally there just to kind of remove the mandates, right? At least that's what we know my, my presence there meant anyways. And I think most of that stuff is gone now. I think the only thing you can't do yet is potentially travel in some countries. Um, personally, it hasn't affected me so much, but I, I do know people that have lost their jobs and people that's their businesses have just been completely decimated and probably won't ever come back uh, because of what's happened. All that being said, I just want to, again, put my opinion out there, or not my opinion, but put what I think out there just so I don't get taken out of context on anything. On another note, another thing that I've started doing is hopefully by the time this podcast is out, the website's up at live and running. Um, I've started a website called waytoomuchpower.com, 
which will essentially just have a bunch of cool shirts and clothing and accessories that I think are kind of cool. Everything's designed by myself or my wife. She's got some input in there as well. She's actually already has a merch clothing site out there already. It's called countrymango.com where she sells equine branded clothing. If you're into that kind of thing, then uh, yeah, I'll put all the links in the description. You can get to all that stuff. But yeah, these are some prototype shirts and hoodies. This is the prototype hoodie from the the site that we'll hopefully have up there. The actual one that'll be live will be a little bit cooler than this one. But yeah, so if you are interested in that kind of thing, I'll put all the links in the description and, and you can check them out. But yeah, all that being said, podcast with um, Marcelo Palacios, you know, episode three went awesome. Hope you enjoy it. So, uh, Marcelo, man, how you doing? Doing good, man. I'm excited. I'm very excited to be in Ottawa this weekend. Going to be, you know, just to be part of this revolution that's going to happen. Uh, I, I couldn't miss it. I've been, you know, I've been speaking out about this thing for two years now. And uh, yeah, everything's coming together. Like people are waking up. Uh, I'm excited to be here in the studio. Last time we talked was, I don't know, six months ago. Yeah, that was at uh, Club Mantis. Yeah, Club Mantis. And, uh, you know, I was in Ottawa actually maybe five months ago, but I was just passing by quick and doing other things. So I was going to give you a call, but I, I'm like, if I, if I go there, I got to make sure I have enough time to, you know, oh, just yeah. not rush. Not rush. And and to be honest with you, the uh, I think five months ago the studio didn't look like this. It was. Uh... <laughs> well, I'm glad I came now. It yeah, looks amazing. No, yeah, it's, it's good. Wicked. I cleaned it up, so I was actually using it as just storage space for the last little bit. Yeah. I just been so busy other stuff, so I haven't had a chance to have another podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But the plan from here on forward is like one at least at least one every month. That's kind of the goal, I think. So yeah. if, if no, I can I'm do excited. One, I'm yeah. excited to uh, to be here and check it out. Yeah, Love man. It. So who is who is Marcelo? Eh? But Marcelo is this uh, is this guy from South America. I've been here thirty years, probably maybe a little more. So I've lived in Canada most of my life, and uh, yeah, I've uh, I got married quite young. I was twenty one. I had a son when I was twenty five or six, and you know, relationship it didn't happen to work. Uh, but I was married for quite a while, and and uh, now I'm just uh, you know enjoying life. My son's been living with me now for five six years, and we get along. His mom lives nearby, and uh, yeah, just everything's rolling, everything's working good. Awesome, and, man! Uh, loving life. So where where about in, in uh, South South America? Uh, I'm from uh, San Juan, Argentina. Okay, Argentina, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised there. Beautiful weather, beautiful country. But I, I kind of left Argentina when I was, um, just before I turned 17, I, I, I left for uh, the U.S. You know, when you, are, when you live anywhere in the world, you think the U.S. is, uh, is the place to be. Yeah. And um, so I, I went there on my own. I was there a year. It was, it was kind of rough because I got there in 
February. Uh, New York is cold, uh, so it was it was what an adjustment for me from from the culture, the language, the uh, weather, this whole uh, change. But makes you makes you grow, makes you um, you know look at things a little different. You know. So you, so you lived in New York, like downtown New York. I got to New York. I lived in New Jersey. Okay, I lived right in uh, in New Jersey, and uh, and then after a year, I went back to Argentina. Was there for about six months, and then and then I came to uh, came to Canada. Yeah. So what was the reason to jump, make the jump to Canada? Uh, I was I was supposed to go back to the U.S. because, uh, well, the reason I left Argentina was. Argentina at that time, 1989, 1990, was going through a really rough time economically, and uh, it was dangerous. Uh, inflation was off the, uh, off the roof. Every, everybody wanted to leave uh, for a better life. So I left by myself. Then when I came to Canada, I came with my family. I was supposed to, uh, I was supposed to leave with a friend, but he kind of backed out last minute. So my dad said, listen, Argentina is not looking good right now. I'm coming with you. My mom said, okay, you two are going, we're all going. So we all came. Uh, I have three sisters, one brother. Uh, so the seven of us came uh, and we stayed for three years and then we went back. Okay. We went back and then I was dating somebody at the time. I ended up getting married and coming back. I got married in Argentina with um, my ex-wife and then we came back uh, to Toronto. So Argentina, is that right beside Venezuela? No, Argentina is uh, right beside Chile. So it's, it's the last country in South America and Canada is the last country in North That's America. Up. So My geography is bad. I'll have to look at a Google Maps just to get, uh, <laughs> yeah. get a reference to... Yeah, yeah. I go from one extreme to, uh, to the other. Yeah. yeah. Well, Canada used to be good. Well, it's still good. But... Well, listen, I left Argentina for a better life and to escape corruption and... Lately, lately, Canada's been uh, Canada's, uh, been looking a little uh, sketchy when it comes to uh, what's been happening, not just Canada, around the world. Um, but this weekend, we're going to change that. We're going to change that this weekend. Should be good. Should be interesting. I think yeah. I, quit, I mentioned it briefly, but we're planning on bringing some arm wrestling tables up there tomorrow. So, I would love that. I would yeah. love that. I'm, you know, arm wrestling's been a passion of mine. Uh, since I can remember, uh, and you know, I'm that kind of person that passion is everything. Like anything I do, whether I'm cooking, whether I'm hanging out with friends, whether I'm working or, or I'm resting, it's, if, if I don't feel passionate about it, I don't do it. I don't do it. So when, when did you start arm wrestling? What got, what got you into that? Um, I, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it all started, but, you know, I remember being probably eight or nine years old and seeing uh, older guys I'm wrestled, you know, teenagers, like 15, 16 year olds, buff guys that I thought they were, you know, so strong and seeing them do that. And, and then I started, I'm wrestling my friends and I could beat most of my friends. And then I started, I'm wrestling bigger guys and I could start beating bigger guys. and not because I was strong. I think I had somewhat of, of, of an idea of what to do at the table and where to put my elbow. And, and everything was somewhat 
freestyle, you know, like freedom mm. arm wrestling, what Devin calls freedom arm wrestling. And yeah. That's how we all start. We, we never put our, our elbow on, on an elbow pad when we started. It's always a table or a bench or a, or a rock or uh, any, any of, of, of those uh, platforms to, to just arm wrestle. It's, it's almost more dynamic, I think, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I feel like the pad's yeah. really restricting. Yeah, very much. But very I much. find, I don't know, I feel like you could make the freedom more exciting, I think, even too, right? I don't, I don't understand why, well, maybe you know, why the pad got more popular as time went on and kind of freedom started yeah, kind of Yeah, because of rules, I think, because of rules and, and, and federation and restrictions. I think, not only I think, the arm wrestling table shouldn't have pegs or pads. I think it should be round as well. I think it should be a round table where you can move from one side all the way to the other and, and, and vice versa. As long as you don't lift your elbow off the table, you're good. Maybe, maybe round and maybe like a spike pad in the middle. You know, yeah. so you have to get around. You have to get the other yeah, guy. Some yeah. Shark teeth or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or a taser, <laughs> a taser right in the very middle. <laughs> I like your I like the way you think. I like your style. Yeah. X, where, where's the who's the X arm guys? You know those guys that started the arm wrestling punching thing. See, those guys need to take yeah. notes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, uh, and and then and then I, I had no idea uh, there was such thing as mm -hmm. organized arm wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, so I became better and better throughout the years. Like I could beat most people, and I didn't know why. Um, so. Working at the place where I'm working now, when I first started, I, I, I would ask people to arm wrestle. I would mm. just go up to people and say, hey, can you, do you want to arm wrestle? And I found out there was this guy that was a world champion at work. His name was uh, George Gacha. He, uh, he actually okay. passed away uh, probably four or five years ago. Mm. Um, big German guy, big, big, strong. And, and so I went up to him because somebody had told me, you know, I bet you can't beat that guy. I went up to him. I talked to him and he told me, yeah, we can arm wrestle tomorrow. I'll bring a table. Uh, we put it in the parking lot and we, we can arm wrestle. And I had no idea what he meant when he said he'll bring a table. I didn't know there was such thing as arm wrestling tables. So that was the beginning um, of, you know, my arm wrestling uh, adventure, which. So did you beat it, him though? Did you beat him? No. No, I was I was a little shocked actually. I was I was uh, I thought you know I, I'll be able to. I thought I was going to beat him to be honest with you. But when I get a, got a hold of him and and he, and his hand was so strong, and I could not budge him. I cannot move him, and you know it was uh, eye opening for me because I started training with them after that in the Oakville Club. And after training for about a month, I went to my first tournament. The, uh, it was the Ontario uh, Championships in, uh, oh, I think it was North Bay. And when was this? Uh, this must have been <clears throat> 2004, probably, 2005. Okay. So yesterday, pretty much. Yeah. You, uh, it's almost 20 years ago. Isn't yeah. crazy? Uh, yeah. It's almost... Uh, yeah. 18 years, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 18 years or night. Yeah. Because I think I started arm wrestling after the, the 2003 Worlds uh, that was in Canada. I started right after that. Um, so my first tournament, I, I, I drove uh, four or five hours to North Bay. And both my matches combined lasted less than a second. And I got beat both matches. I'm like, 
no, there's something, some, there's got to be something to this. So the first few tournaments I went to, I couldn't beat anybody. And I was that guy that nobody can beat, right? So, you know, it, it, took, it took a couple of tournaments to get a win, then to get two wins, then to place. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a progression that takes, takes years. Yeah, I, I was really surprised my, my first time out. So you've unwrestled uh, throughout your life or you just did it when you were... So a little bit, like, you know, in high school and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But the uh, never, never anything to the level that, you know, I'm training now and mm-hmm. watching, you know, guys like Devin do. But the, the first time that Devin invited me out to train... The in my head, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm in pretty good, I'm in pretty good mm-hmm. shape, you know, I should be okay. Yeah. It was like, I, honestly, the first day I left, I'm like, how is this possible? Yeah, like there was smaller guys that would, like, I literally just couldn't move, I couldn't even in, move them an inch. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm going as hard as I could, and it, and again, I'm dumb. So in my head, I thought, you know, Devin's a pretty big guy, but you know, I could probably do something. Yeah, no, not even. I, it, it like blew my mind. It yeah. was, it actually reminded me. A lot of the very first time I ever did jujitsu. So when I first started doing jujitsu, this is like, oh gosh, over close to twenty years ago now. So jujitsu twenty yeah. years ago is not what jujitsu is today, then, because no, today is no. so popular. No, there was a a small gym in Carlton Place. Uh, it was called Total Fitness, and I used to go there just to train weights. Hmm. And I'd done karate and kickboxing like throughout my life. Um, so I'd done martial arts before, and at the back room there was like a martial arts club like inside of the gym and um there was two people that used to kind of bug me every once in a while they're like yeah val uh and uh, tanya vlahak who passed away unfortunately a few years ago but um they used to bug me all the time like oh matias you look like a pretty strong guy you should come out and you know do some jujitsu with us and i was always like ah, i'm not doing that <laughs> like you guys are just rolling around in pajamas i'm not doing that and then one day they convinced me to go out and uh, it was it was kind of the very same thing where I was like a pretty pretty good shape, and I was like oh, I'm just. But gonna... you got your ass handed to you. Bro. Oh, it was terrible! <laughs> it was so bad! It was so bad! There was small guys that were like choking me, and they were arm locking me, and like the whole time I'm just getting beat up, and I'm like, this is insane! Like, yeah. how is this possible? And then I was hooked. Like the next day, I just I couldn't wait to go. I I, I kind of started doing less weights and doing more jujitsu just because mm-hmm. I was like in awe yeah, of. You like, wanted to figure out the art yeah of 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 the sport and with with arm wrestling it, it, the same thing happened it, to me like i could not understand mm. why i you know i couldn't beat these these people and, and and it has to do a lot with you know the height of the hand or, or the mm. cupping strength and and just the posting you know yeah. once once you put a little bit of back pressure you pretty much you know take you know, when you start arm wrestling, your typical move is going to be an inside move for the most part. Usually with the, you know, with the um, shoulder coming forward and just moving the hand. And if you just apply a little bit of back pressure, you know, that, that's what make, you know, guys that beat everybody, that's what stops them from, from doing that. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I think it is, it is a martial art, right? Like it doesn't see. I think it doesn't seem like it if you're just kind of looking at it. But if you remember the early UFC days, right when you saw guys like grappling, people didn't understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that's kind of where arm wrestling is right now, and it's starting to kind of get out of that. Yeah. Whereas people were seeing it before, and it's just like, oh, it's just two guys. Whoever's the strongest, yeah. is pulling sideways wins. 
or pushing sideways, but it's not like that at all. It's like you're, there's, you know, back pressure, you're pulling, you're using your wrist, you're using your fingers. Yeah. It, uh, it's and very the, dynamic. The popularity, the popularity of arm wrestling is really growing right now. Yeah. And I, I do believe it's going to become somewhat of mm-hmm. uh, a UFC started now, you know, with the UFC and the beginning of UFC, you know, you could just have street fighters over there that were going to do decent, mm-hmm. you know, but now if you don't have a complete game, uh, if you don't have jujitsu, if you don't have a good ground game, if you don't have a good stand-up game, you're not going to last in there for two minutes. Somebody's no. going to find your weakness and it's the same thing at the arm wrestling table. You know, yeah. if you don't have, I mean, it, a lot of guys have that one move that is really good, but if, if they get stopped, they usually, uh, you know, lose unless they have a, a complete game, unless they have, you know, some backup uh, moves to, to counter your opponent. Yeah. What, and, and I think arm wrestling is the same way, right? It's the fighting and arm wrestling. Like if you look at some of the, the best MMA fighters of all time, right? Like mm-hmm. you have guys like, uh, like Anderson Silva, um, and Pierre, guys, Jean- or George, George St. Pierre yeah, too. But most, those guys are probably not the best example. Maybe Anderson is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but a lot of these top guys, they really have like one lane of, of fighting and they're just ridiculously good at it, right? Like Anderson's wrestling, it wasn't that good. I would say almost not really there at all. Yeah. Um, his jiu-jitsu was good, but it's just how dynamic he was with his stand-up. He was just, he was the best, right? And then you had guys like George St. Pierre, who again was good at like everything, but as soon as he started really leveling up his wrestling he was just crushing people yeah. and it was his wrestling it was the one thing that he was like super super good at yeah. that's what allowed him to just run through people right like Khabib yeah Khabib is the same way yeah the same way but what seems to happen um in MMA well first of all champs usually the champs don't stay champs very long right like guys mm-hmm. make it to the top only a handful of guys ever defend more than two three yeah, times yeah, yeah yeah um but a lot of the times when they try to change how they fight and how they they train that's when they start losing mm-hmm. it's because they kind of lost that that lane that they were in and i feel like arm from again i'm super noob right so but i feel like it's almost the same way i've looked at enough you know high yeah. level arm wrestlers where there are most guys they have like one lane yeah and they're ridiculously yeah. good at that one lane and that's what allows them to beat like 99 percent of the people yeah. but then if there's somebody that figures out how to you know get them out of that lane then yeah. they they don't have an answer for it, right? Yeah. Speed is very important. You know, when yeah. you first started arm wrestling, you think strength is mm-hmm. the most important lane you can achieve. Yeah. And that's probably one of the last ones, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, what do you want to have first? I think, you know, speed is, is num- the number one thing you could probably, uh, have in your arsenal that is going right. to uh, be very effective. Speed, hand control, you know, um, power, I think. Power is number four, number five for sure. Really? Yeah? Yeah. So how, how do you train speed in arm wrestling then? You have to have some fast twitching muscles. Like, you can practice, uh, but I think it, it comes down to coordination. It comes down to... Uh, um, you know, some guys are quick, you know, naturally, and some guys have to work out, uh, work at it. Mm. Um, but, but I think, yeah, you should work at all your weaknesses. Uh, 
your strength, there, there'll always be strength. Yeah. Like golf. You, hit, you can hit a golf ball 300 yards. You will hit it 300 yards your whole life. So, you know, you got to work on your chipping or your putting mm. or, or just your, your, your weaknesses. And I think it's like that with every, uh, every sport. Just to throw this out there, I think I'm probably the worst golf player of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to go. We have to go for, uh, for an outing. I love golf, too. I, that's, how I, that's how I started some of my charity with, with the golf stuff. Yeah. You mentioned, yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. I started, on, on a side note, I, was, mm. I, I started playing golf in Argentina when I was about 15 years old. Uh, one of my cousins was a member of this, of this place, the only golf club we have the only golf course we have in, in our city. And his grandfather was a golfer. So there was a, um, like a place where everybody kept their golf clubs. So he's like, let's, let's go play. So we go over there and he, he brought his uh, grandfather's club and they were wooden clubs and the balls were horrible, but I couldn't believe that you could hit a ball 150 yards. So when I hit a ball 150 yards, it's like I got hooked. So I started, I started playing and I wasn't the person that was supposed to play golf in Argentina because in Argentina, golf is considered a rich man's sport and, and mm. we weren't rich. But I was always decent at sport, whatever sport I, I was playing growing up, whether it was tennis or judo or, or swimming, I was decent at it. So I, I, I started playing golf. My father got me clubs and I ended up winning 15 out of 18 tournaments in, in one year. So. I loved it. I, obviously, with handicap, everybody, you start with 36. And by the time a year and a half went by, I think I, I had almost that, uh, single digit handicap. So I learned quick and, uh, and, I, and I fell in love with the game. But after I left Argentina, I never really focused or play again uh, competitively. I tried playing the Ontario Amateurs a couple of times mm. and uh, it was a great, great experience. But that sport is such a precise game that if you don't practice all the time, you, you're not going to score well because it, it, it takes that, those little adjustments to, uh, to be able to score. So how, how does the handicap work? How do you define your handicap? The maximum handicap you can have is, is two strokes per hole. So okay. 36 is, is where most people start. And the way it works, let's say, you know, the, the, the course that you're playing at, it's, it's par 72. So if you shoot 92, that means you're a 20 handicap. Okay. Right. And if you shoot under 92 consistently, then your handicap will go down until you can shoot 72, which is handicap zero. Actually, handicaps go up to plus three. So you could, um, you could shoot 69 mm -hmm. and then you get added three strokes to your card. Okay. Right? Like the, the guys that are really, really good, they're in the plus uh, handicap. So they don't take strokes to their game. They mm -hmm. add strokes at the end. Of the game. So, so if you're playing at like, the, like a really high level golf, I guess those guys would all be at zero, right? They couldn't give handicaps to people if you're at like the World Series or yeah, something no, like that? No, if, if, if you become a professional golfer, yeah. You play without handicap. Yeah. Like me and you play, whatever you shoot. If I shoot less than you, I win. If you shoot less than yeah. me, you win. But if you're an amateur and you do have handicap, you know, that's why anybody can play golf with anybody because mm -hmm. I'm not playing against you. You are playing against the course and I am playing against the same course, right? 
but you don't hit my ball, I don't hit your ball. So if you shoot whatever score you shoot, then you subtract your handicap, and uh, and I subtract mine, and whatever level we are at, that's that's the end the end game. Pretty uh, pretty entertaining. I I love sport just because you're outside four or five hours on a on a round and you're out in nature. Usually golf courses are are all beautiful. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There's some good ones around Ottawa too. Oh, some nice ones around here. We have over two hundred courses in in Toronto and the surrounding area. So I I've played quite a quite a few of those. Yeah, and and you were involved in a charity too, right? Involving with golf. Yeah. The the the, the reason I started is because I wasn't technically supposed to play golf. It was kind of costly for my family. Uh, and I didn't really, um, uh, I didn't really uh, got along with the people that were playing golf at the time because they were all mostly rich uh, mm. kids and, and I wasn't. So I, uh, I identify myself more with, with the caddies of the golf, golf course. Uh, and we, we don't see caddies here in North America, but in Argentina, you, uh, you go to the golf course, they have people that will carry your bag, you give them some money and they will tell you how many yards you have and all that sort of stuff. So I hardly took any caddies myself. I carry my own bag back then, but, but, uh, you know, I had identified myself with those people and, and, uh, and I got along with them and they, they kind of, you know, taught me the game and brought me under the wing. And so one day I, I thought to myself, one day when I can, I, I'll do something, you know, a little something. So, uh, on one of my trips down to visit my family, I, um, I asked permission, uh, to the golf course. If, if I can throw a little tournament for, for the caddies, uh, they usually flood the course, they flood the course on Monday. So the members don't play because there's water everywhere, mm. but they, they, they let this, this, kids play the caddies so we did a little tournament and and i i brought like a few uh golf uh golf gloves and tees and balls and that was that was the price uh but everybody had such a good time that the next the following year i did it again and the the year after that i did it again and uh, i ended up doing it for uh 17 or 18 years uh that that tournament and my goal the reason i stopped because I reached I reached what I what I wanted to uh to do which was I made sure that every caddy had their own set of golf clubs by the time I was I was done. So uh some some years I was able to bring one set, some years I was able to bring three sets of go golf clubs. Um so the idea was that if one of them because caddies are amazing golfers. Uh they live in the golf course, they're very poor and you know they have that uh, hungry, uh, uh, how do you call it? That survival instinct kind of thing. If they are given an opportunity, they are going to, um, you know, thrive. And and by me, you know, giving them the tools they they require to play golf, maybe somebody else could have given them the uh, the opportunity to play and. Uh, most professional golfers that come out of Argentina, they were former caddies in the past. So uh, after oh, I was, I was yeah. after I was done with with uh, with the tournament and, and everybody had their own uh, clubs, then uh, a few of the kids got sponsored to go and play in other cities. And and uh, you know 
I, I have big plans for, for the future to be able to sponsor some of these uh, kids to uh, become professional golfers. And I know if they do, they will help their, their whole community too. So it's a win-win, I think, in, awesome. that, in that respect. That's awesome. Oh, it, it, it was something that, you know, I look forward to doing every year. And it grew. Every year it grew. People helped me with the food. People helped me. They donated golf clubs. They, like, when you're doing something to help somebody else, pe people come together and, and help too. And, you know, the more you do stuff like that, the more you want to do it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I think when people see that their money is directly going to a yeah. good cause, right? Yeah. I think people want to be part of that, of course, right? Of but when people see a cause that money's being thrown at and they don't see the results of it, hmm. I think they're less likely to do yeah. that willingly, that's right? Why, uh, that's why charities have uh, a bad rap because people donate a dollar and, you know, oftentimes 90% of their dollar is not going to what you're originally donating yeah. for. You know, if you're donating for, uh, you know, I don't know, to give you an example, when Haiti had the uh, the earthquake and mm. and people donated billions of dollars, but uh, the people from Haiti, they saw very little money from that. So people yeah. have a, a hard time giving when they don't know where their money is going. Yeah, and, and you, you see tons of these like, mainstream charities that their marketing budget mm -hmm. right is like 40 percent mm -hmm. of the donation money and then they pay out another 30 percent in salaries and you look at the ceo and they're making like three million dollars a year yeah. and at the end of the day you see like you know 10 15 percent of their donation yeah. actually goes to the well, cause, i'm, I'm right? gonna change that yeah. i'm gonna change that Matthias. I, 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 i've taken a break for the last couple of years because after i i was done with my with my little charity and the tournament and I wanted to do more. And for three or four years, I tried so many things, but you know, when you don't have money to start something, it, it's hard to get anywhere. It's hard to get help. It's hard to get people to believe in you. It's hard. But, um, I started, uh, I started my little YouTube uh, channel, uh, mid year last year. And, uh, and I think that is going to be the avenue that changes the way charity is done around the world. Um, I, I can't wait. I, I know exactly what to do to change it. Um, I will just explain it uh, as, as the months go by and as, as the um, idea grows. So I'll, I'll throw the link. I'll throw the link in the description of the video. So that'll be uh, you know, Marcel's YouTube channel. But give me, give me a summary. Like, how are you going to change it? What are you, what are you doing? Uh, well, that, that, had to, that had to come out later. I could give you a little bit of, uh, of just uh, an idea of what I'm trying yeah. to do. Uh, what I'm trying to do is, you know, let's say, and, and, and I'll be honest with everybody because I, I'm, I'm trying to start this thing and, and, and telling people I'm, I'm going to change the world. And, you know, to, for somebody to say that is, is a big statement and people don't take you seriously, but we all change the world in different ways, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, the way I can change the world in my head, it's, uh, you know, giving my best, whatever that is, right? Uh, and anytime you are doing something positive, you're making a change in the world. So yeah. 
uh, to me, it's um, it, it, you just got to start something and people will come. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of these things. I think, you know, you, you shoot for the stars, maybe you land on the moon, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You still made and a lot I, of progress. I've, I've done a market study already. Uh, I've, I, I've had great people to look up to, you know, like uh, Nelson Mandela, like Mohamed Yunus, like um, uh, the founder of Tom's, Blake Makowski. Like, mm. you know, the reason these guys became successful is because they were doing something like Blake Makowski. He, he started the, the Tom's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. No, he not started, at all, not at He all. started the, uh, you know, the running shoes, Tom's. He was, he actually um, uh, started this project from uh, uh, some shoes from Argentina. Mm -hmm. They're called Alpargatas. They're the cheapest shoe you can make. He was in Argentina vacationing and uh, he met two people at a cafe somewhere and they started talking and they, they told him that they were going to go to uh, um, give away uh, shoes to poor people. So they will go to rich neighborhood, ask for slightly used shoes or used shoes and go to poor neighborhoods and, and give them out. And uh, he got so much satisfaction from that. And he was a, a young entrepreneur from, uh, from the U.S. He's like, I'm going to buy 200 pairs of shoes. I'm going to take them back to the U.S. For every pair that, of this that they buy, I'm going to donate a pair to somebody in need. So he started that probably 15 years ago today, and he has given away over 20 million pairs of shoes now. And, and now, now I think of it, I, <clears throat> I did hear about this at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I was listening to a podcast where they were yeah. talking about that. Guy. So I did a market study, mm. pretty similar. I bought 200 t-shirts and I sold them at work with my story. I, I told everybody what I was going to do with it. And I told them that 100% of the profit of the t-shirt was going to go um, to somebody in need. Mm. And I sold all 200 t-shirts in less than four hours. Nice. So, you know, I, I know it works and it's something along those lines of what I want to do. And uh, when I'm ready to do it, and when I have a certain fan base or a certain following, I know people want to change and want to help and they, they don't want to see, you know, we, we made enough food in the world for 12.5 billion people. Yeah. But one and a half billion people go hungry every day. So how does that happen? We throw you away know? food. We throw yeah. it away. Yeah. So, yeah, charity is something that I've been, again, very passionate since the beginning. I've been doing it with my dad. My dad used to take me to the outskirts of, of you know, San Juan and uh, go to uh, poor neighborhoods and, and bring goods and bring, you know, comforters and rooms and stuff that they couldn't get. And... That, that's just how it starts. You, you know, you fall in love with just helping. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very rewarding. Something you, once you start, you, you won't stop. Yeah. No, it's, uh, mm. and I think as long as people stay on the right path when they're doing charity work, mm -hmm. I feel like nothing but good yeah. can come of it, right? Yeah. I think it's when people start to see, mm. or certain people, I should say, start to see the money flowing into charities. That's just money changes yeah, people. Money changes right? everything. Money changes yeah. everything. And, you know, I am in a position uh, and I've always been in the same position where I've never been attached to those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't have very much. Um, and, and I did. I had the houses and I had all of this. But, 
when I got divorced, things changed and I started helping people and I helped my family and I bought my mind my car and I did all these things and, and, and I ran out of money. And since then I've become a minimalist and I, I don't hold on to things. I don't mm-hmm. hold on to anything. And uh, I am pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm the happiest person I know because I don't let, you know, money or, or um, material things just consume me. Right? Yeah. Well, I think it's when most people, when they have their basic necessities like covered mm-hmm. and you're at the point in life where you don't have to worry about the basics, yeah. then you, usually happiness is just kind of like a byproduct of anything above that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, and, yeah. you know, I like nice things. I, mm-hmm. I love nice things. But if I have to jeopardize my happiness or, mm-hmm. or a week in a way with friends or with family mm-hmm. uh, because I have to work to buy all these things, you know, I, I, I won't do it. Yeah. And I have, I have done it. I've, for years, I've worked without vacations and without this because I had the big house and the new car and all of this. But, you know, you get trapped into this circle where the more you make, the more you have to work to sustain your lifestyle. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a trap. And, and especially if you have a lifestyle that requires you to go into debt to make more money and then it becomes this like yeah. stress that, battle yeah. right that's how society is set up right now yeah you know you can have anything you want at any given time oh you have no money no problem here's a credit card we send it to you you pay us later yeah 20 percent interest don't worry you'll pay us that's how it start right so but now without a job can't do that do that it's sad what's happening yeah well do you, you want to go out and talk about that a little bit but what's going to happen tomorrow yeah we could we could i'm excited that's what i'm here for uh ultimately uh yeah i lost my job last week um after 28 years of working in next month i'll start my 29th year of working in a place where it was a dream job. It allowed me to, you know, uh, have an amazing life, travel the world and, uh, you know, a simple life, but um, something that you never think is going to come to an end. It did, you know, yeah. uh, because of the restrictions and the narrative that's going on and, and the uh, mandates. Uh, if you don't abide by what they're saying, you know, you, uh, you're done in society. They, they paint, they want to paint the picture of, you know, if you're unvaccinated, you, uh, you're putting everybody in danger. And you know what? I think it kind of even goes beyond the whole vaccinated, unvaccinated. If you actually look at the number of businesses that have struggled because of mandates and because of lockdowns. I know so many people that, you know, have owned like gyms and hair salons and other types of businesses that they couldn't <laughs> operate. And because they're small businesses, they're essentially living month to month, right? They're yeah. not Walmart. Yeah. They're not Costco. They don't have this, you know, this bank account of unlimited yeah. money where they don't care if they get locked down. And the funny thing is, if you look at the way all the lockdown stuff happened and the mandates, they were looser on big businesses that could afford to be locked down. Yeah. And they just crushed everything else the whole thing the whole thing to me it just makes me sick because because the math doesn't add up 
you know, you're telling that restaurant that has five tables that it, they can't work. But I work with 3,000 people and we were never shut down. Yeah. I work with 3,000 people, two shifts a day, six days a week for the last two years. And not only we were good, now I don't have a job. And I worked right there on that place for two years. You know, we, they put the mandates of wear a mask, the plexiglass, and the whole circus. And now it's like uh, they're, playing with, they're playing with people's emotions, they're playing with people's livelihoods, uh, people's mental health. Uh, it's, uh, it just makes me sick. That, uh, not so much for me. I'm going to be 50 years old. I'm, I'm good. I, you're not going to change me, but, you know. They wouldn't have put you at 50. So you're doing something right. You're doing something right. Something. something. Maybe, it's, maybe it's a toque. Maybe that's what it maybe is, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what, what really bothers me, it's uh, what's, what we're going to live for the ne next generation. Mm. You know, our kids. Our kids are uh, suffering way too much uh, because of this. Um, when they tell them, go to school one week. No, don't go to school this week. They, uh, they having, they having to wear masks all day when they're per perfectly healthy. Um, the whole thing, uh, stops this week. And I think, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. Right. Cause I think <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, if you feel unsafe or uncomfortable, right. Going to restaurants mm -hmm. and don't go to restaurants. Yeah. Right. If you feel yeah. unsafe walking around without a mask on, then wear a mask on, yeah. but you can't, I don't, in my opinion, you shouldn't be allowed to impose all these restrictions on, you know, <clears throat> onto everybody who I think really at the end of the day, I don't think it has the positive outcome that anybody thought it was going to. No, right? no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, first of all, because the damage they're doing, like the damage to the economy, yeah. the damage to small businesses, the damage to our young generation and our mental health. Like, Suicide is through the roof, um, depression, anxiety, uh, all this negative aspect of, of all this lockdown and restrictions and uh, that doesn't seem to end. You know, when the whole problem that we have right now, it's always been, you know, the, the, uh, the medical infrastructure that we have. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I know a person that works at three different hospitals, they're like, we have had emergencies every year for the last 30 years, you know, except for the last two years. The last two years, I've seen less people in hospitals, she told me, than in the last 20. And I've been to hospitals. I was actually there four or five days ago for my shoulder, mm. and I was in and out. That's Especially awesome. this time of the year where flu season every year yeah. overwhelms hospitals. Yeah. You know, they, they, I think they take the opportunity to, uh, you know, implement more restrictions and more of this because the numbers are going higher. But this time of the year, the numbers have always been higher anyway. Yeah. Everybody's getting sick. Everybody's so, like, yeah. You know, obviously it's, it's a controversial uh, topic, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm here this weekend to try and, you know, get people together and, uh, and tell our leaders that, we're not going to put up with this. So, you, so you've walked down to Parliament already? Yes, I was. I was there the morning. I I drove through the night uh, last night. I got here at five in the morning, just because I know how crazy the highway is going to be today and tomorrow. And uh, 
I did the right thing. I was yeah. I went by the parliament today and there's a lot of people in there already. Everybody's making noise, everybody's honking. Uh on my way here at every gas station that I stopped, there were hundreds of trucks just uh, you know, getting ready to uh I guess some of them sleep like they always do at rest stops, but a lot of them, all these trucks were ready to go. It's crazy. The uh, I'm curious to know what the number is going to be. The, I think uh, I think I think everybody's going to be surprised. I think so too. I, I think, think everybody's so. going to be surprised. I don't know about the number of truckers. Tru- truckers. Mm. I don't know if it's ten, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. The number of people that are going to show up. Yeah. Well. So what surprised me more, I think, than the number of trucks is I've seen videos online now of people filming the trucks driving by and then video from the trucks. And it's like every underpass that they go mm-hmm. under, mm-hmm. it's like hundreds, if not like a thousand people. Yeah. So you, have, you see these underpasses, the tops are completely full of people. Yeah. The sides are completely full of people. There's cars parked yeah. all along the side yeah, of the yeah, highway. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's not just one underpass. This happens. This is happening. All of them. Yeah. It's happening. And, in- and it's some, of the, some of the overpass, they had to shut traffic down. Like they could not... Uh, have traffic going because of the amount of people they had. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because I uh, have a, a WhatsApp group with a couple of buddies of mine and we kind of talk about this stuff. And I think most of them are a bit more pessimistic and they're saying, oh, you know, you know, there's maybe going to be like, you know, a hundred trucks and maybe, maybe a thousand people that show up. And I'm like, man, there's a thousand people on like one underpass yeah. when they drive by. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's going to be insane. It's uh, going to be insane. thing is, you know that's never been reported by the media or 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 the the radio stations or but i've i have been to uh demonstrations myself in downtown toronto and the the smallest one that i've been to there's i don't know 10,000 people like thousands upon thousands of people because you know you can you cannot take the freedom to choose from people and and be okay you know that that's that's not okay you know unless you're telling me this thing has a 30% um you know death rate, death rate or whatever i understand this, even even 10% i think yeah, even, even yeah. yeah even 10% i think like one even out of 5% every nine. maybe whatever yeah, maybe but yeah it's way, it's way way less yeah than the that. Uh, i think the measures that they're taking um are worse than the uh you know than the results they're getting yeah the and the problem really is it's it's hard to really know what the real numbers are now because everybody's changing the numbers to kind of fit their agenda right like the people that are completely anti everything they're saying like it's killing nobody and the people that are like pro all the mandate they're raising numbers and making it look like it's killing everybody Mm -hmm. but you know I, i think at the end of the day I'm just speaking anecdotally. Like, I don't think I know anybody personally um, who's gotten COVID like really, really bad and been like even close to dying. Um, I know my wife; she was uh, sick before they knew it was COVID. Yeah, and and, and she was pretty sick. Um, I, I wouldn't say she was ever like worried about dying. Um, the only people that I know of that did get COVID really bad and it has gotten like severely, severely bad were people that weren't friends of mine directly. They're like friends of friends. Yeah. So I'm hearing the stories of those people. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I know they exist because I've seen the pictures in the hospitals yeah. and vi- people filming people. The problem is, yeah. I think, the main reason uh, 
people have not gotten better when they've been sick is because they've been treated with the wrong medication. That's one of the big things where why people have died. Uh, yeah. I've heard reports, uh, you know, when, when they're banning ivermectin and, 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 and these medicines that have been in the WHO essential, you know, list for 50, 60, 70 years, and they don't want you to use it. There's, there's a secondary agenda, I think. See, that's, and I don't, I don't want to get too crazy yeah, into no, conspiracies. Let's not, let's not. But, but, but <laughs> I will say this. I, I think it is really weird, right? <clears throat> Where it's like you have medicine that's been around for a long time. And it's like, no, no, no you're not allowed to use yeah. this. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, take this new thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, like why? Like it, it, it seems weird to me. I well, don't. People that have used it. Yeah. They had great results. Yeah. And you it's, know. It, it's just weird. I just can't remember a time when there was a disease or a sickness where people were enforcing, you know, use this, not that. Right. It was like, if you're really sick, like you're open, you're free to do yeah. whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think, you know, cancer treatment, right. If you want, you know, experimental cancer treatment, you're allowed to get that. If you want chemotherapy, yeah. as far as I know, yeah. you're open to try, um, whatever treatments you want. Anything. Right. Anything. If yeah. you want the flu shot, you can get it. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think cancer is, is a good example. Cancer kills way more people. And it, it ruins so many lives. Yeah. Like, I know, I know a lot of people that have died to cancer. Anything kills and, more people than COVID. Anything. Yeah. Pretty much. But the, the thing that's interesting about cancer, though, is it's been around for a while. It's getting worse. And the focus isn't there. I feel like, I feel like there's always money being put in it, like, you know, yeah. progressively. But if you look at the number of dollars that were spent to try to stop COVID or prevent COVID or all the initiatives that were happening because of COVID, if, if you put that kind of money towards something Your that's, medical infrastructure. Right. Anything. It would have fixed. Listen, with the billion that they've spent in the last two years, giving people money to stay home and, and, and all this. Yeah. Bullshit. Can I say bullshit? No. Yeah, you're gonna have to if you say anything too bad, I'll just bleep it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) All this thing that they they've been doing. Yeah. With that amount of money, they could have just built hospitals, strengthen your your infrastructure, and uh, they haven't done that. They haven't done that. And I I think the number, and I don't know if this is just the US, this might be North America. I think it was seven trillion so far. I think that's the number. I, I could be wrong. I could yeah. be making that up. But that's something that who, I... Who do you think is going to pay for that? Gas. Like, where does that money even come from? Oh where do you get $7 trillion? A year and a half ago, gas was 80 cents a liter. Now it's over 150 Yeah. It, they double in price. In the, and everything's going to double. Groceries. Groceries have doubled in the last year as well. Now you go to the grocery store, get two bags. It's over $100. You don't even buy food. It, yeah, I think I think the groceries, the price of growth, I think depends on where you live. Uh, I think where we are, where I am here, um, a lot has gone. A lot of produce and stuff has gone up thirty to forty percent for sure. So it's not quite doubled, but there have yeah. been things like yeah, meat, yeah, yeah. certain types of meat and stuff that progressively fish, gotten, salmon. I used yeah. to get salmon all the yeah. time. Now you get half thirty dollars for a for a half a slab of salmon. Yeah, it's outrageous. So I'm, I'm, I'm interesting too, because of the, so all the, the convoy, right? So that's what's coming tomorrow. Well, I guess a lot of them are already here. Yeah. The thing is, I heard something 
that the uh, the combo was over 400 miles long already. So the combo that was en- entering Ontario, it was finishing Alberta or something like the the one of the first guys entering Ontario. The last truck, it was like 400 miles or something. How is that even possible? That's yeah. ridiculous. And it's going to get longer. It's going to get longer. And they're not going to even get be able to get in the city. They're going to have to leave their truck somewhere on the highway or somewhere and yeah. just, you know, walk it. I know. I, I, I've got, I got to go downtown tomorrow. I'll bring a camera and I'll... I'll... I thought things would be shut down right now, all those yeah. streets, but they're not. I was able to drive right on that main street by the parliament. There, there was a few roadblocks yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So last, last night, um, we went downtown. So we dropped off the arm wrestling table at a... Mm-hmm. Or two, two arm wrestling tables at a friend of mine's place who lives very close to parliament. Yeah. And then on the way there, we'll, we'll pick them up. Um, but the, on the, on the highway, I think I saw two or three roadblocks in a couple of places, but nothing crazy, nothing crazy yeah. yet. Yeah. Uh, when I was driving here, it actually took me, uh, to the trans Canada highway or something. It took me mm-hmm. on a different way, not the 401 because of road closures The yeah. GPS told me. So, um, yeah, I'm, I was able, I was able to, uh, find an Airbnb, uh, 20 or 25 blocks from this place so i'm i'm good i'm yeah, set like up 10 minute walk 15 yeah, minute walk yeah, something yeah. like that i'll take yeah. an uber i don't want to walk when it's minus 25 <laughs> it's gonna be cold tomorrow but i think you know i think there's gonna be a million people there tomorrow million yeah oh i think so i, I re- think so do you, have a, do you have a drone no i i, I bought one the other day because because of i want to do this youtube thing but I'm so bad with technology. I crashed it twice. Oh no! And, and I and I and I tried to uh, uh, calibrate it the way they said whatever, mm. but uh, it didn't happen. It didn't I, happen. I hope I hope somebody gets some really good drone footage. I think that'd be mm. really cool. I got I got a <laughs> big stick. I can, <laughs> but but nothing nothing big. Nothing. Yeah, actually, you know what? I have a friend of mine who has a really good <clears throat> drone. Mm-hmm. Well, after we're done, I think I'm going to give him a call. Give him a call if you can. Oh my god! Yeah, if, if we can get can... a drone downtown, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think drone footage would be really good because then there's no hiding it, right? Because, yeah. like, if you yeah. play the camera game where, you know, you're pointing the camera in a certain direction, you yeah. see a lot of people, but behind you could be empty. Yeah. There's no lying yeah. uh, no, with aerial drone, shots, Drones have, right? uh, have changed the game, for sure. But when it comes to filming, you know, drones have uh, stepped, it, stepped it up, for sure. Yeah, and there's still, if you get a good one, I think it's still pretty expensive, but they're getting more affordable, right? Yeah. Where I think before it was like a few thousand dollars for like a, a good one. And I think now yeah. you get a pretty good one for like a thousand bucks or less, yeah. right? Yeah. I paid like 600 or something. And this one was like 4K and, you know, motion. It wasn't obviously high end, yeah. high end, but it had all the things that the high ends had. Did just you, do you know what the model is? The uh... I probably have it. I just look at my, uh, my uh, what do you call it? Amazon purchases and should be there. But... Okay. Cause I know at one again, I I'm, I'm, I remember I looked into this like a few years ago because I was kind of interested. Yeah, I remember the Phantom, whatever it was called. I think that was kind of the the go to one. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's just so many companies making yeah. high level ones now. I don't yeah. know what and the uh, yeah. If you want, you know, if you want the good ones, yeah, it'll run you fifteen hundred, twenty five hundred, ten thousand. Yeah, for ten thousand, yeah. the drone better be able to pick me up. Oh, like it would. Attached to me and I get it. <laughs> it would. So. There's going to be some arm wrestling table there tomorrow. Yep. Oh, that's going to be awesome. 
Yeah, so that's going to be good. The plan is to get them as close to the the flame yeah. as we can. Well, I didn't see no flame there today. I was right there by the where the water flows. Yeah. There was no flame. I and the flame's right in the middle, yeah. right? I didn't see a flame. They didn't they turn turn on? Maybe it was so cold the flame was little, I don't know, but I was I was right there. Uh. The water's still flowing, so it's, it 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 looks like it's somewhat hot in there. Mm-hmm. Uh so but there's a lot of people already. There's a lot of people already there. So are, are the, right now are all the people like inside of the Parliament Hill area or are they on the street? Right no, now? no, they're on the street. Like, I mean, there is not, I was there early this morning mm-hmm. um, and I was just walking by, stay there for about 20, 30 minutes yeah. and then, and then just left and um, tried to find the place. Uh, but people are going, people are driving by, honking, walking, taking pictures, but you know, just, scoping the place out tomorrow is going to be the uh the real party i think it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting so how long have you been i'm wrestling going back to that i'm wrestling thing now you know i uh it's just been a few years no just over a year i think that's it that's it yeah that's it the um i'm trying to think how's the elbow pain and all of that it's good yeah it's good i've been pretty lucky i think for the most part um, I know early on I hurt my wrist, my left wrist. So I broke both my wrists multiple times before. Oh. So I think I broke my right wrist once and I think my left twice, maybe a third mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my left wrist <clears throat> is actually pretty compromised already. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this, ever since I've broken both of them, I've always had a little bit of pain. Mm-hmm. And ever since doing arm wrestling and doing the training for arm wrestling, yeah. no pain. Yeah. Because of blood flowing there, like if, if yeah. you do a lot of exercise. And and some of the exercise these these arm wrestlers do, they're yeah. like it's crazy because like some of the exercise I used to do at the gym, people look at me and say, "What the hell is he doing?" Because yeah, I know. you don't do full range of motions. You, you know, you do some weird stuff that is only going to benefit for arm wrestling, right? Yeah. Um, but some of the things these guys do, you know, it's uh, mind boggling to me. You know, Devin being able to do fifteen hundred push-ups. You can do 15. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember. He wants some sort of push-up thing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I've never been able to do 100. Never. I think 70 is probably the max that I've been able to do. And now with my shoulder, I couldn't do 15 probably. I, I was able to do around around 100, I think, at one point. Oh, yeah? When I was in really, really good shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was like under once, it has to do with weight for me. Yeah. But when I get to like 170 pounds or under, then I was able to... To do that number, do a lot. Of, that's a lot of yeah. push-ups. That's yeah, a, actually, uh, I won. I won a bet with my dad because I think he said I couldn't do over fifty. And I think when we did it, I did fifty, and then I kept doing more. And I think I did like I think it was eighty-nine or something. But I think even at that point in time, I think I could have done you know another eleven or whatever. But mm-hmm. I, I was struggling at eighty-nine. I was actually I was I was struggling a little bit. <laughs> like you, you've been a year. I'm wrestling. Is it something that you're going to stick with it? Yeah. 100%. Because a lot of people come in and out, in and out. Like I did it for eight, nine years, got a few injuries and then I stopped. And like, I still hang out with mm-hmm. the, like Craig just called from Wasaga. I still go <laughs> there all the time. Um, I still, you know, whenever Devin goes uh, to town or passes by, I always try and support yeah. what he's doing and, uh, and just go and do a little quick, training session um and i'm obviously i'm hoping to do the same while i'm here with you yeah, guys yeah, hanging yeah. out so be yeah. be exciting my uh my right arm i think is done which is too bad because 
something I, I had to take some x-rays for the shoulder this week something was bothering me uh but the hand and wrist has always been pretty good with my right so now i'll uh i'll have to arm wrestle with my left come back do some comeback are you calling me out you call me out <laughs> left-handed yes yeah. of course i'm calling you out <laughs> but uh yeah no i think uh it's, I think I'm going to stick with it. I think so. It's think. good. It's good. It keeps you in shape. That's for sure. It keeps you, uh, you know, I'm wrestling one of those things that people encourage one another. Like you go to a training session, they tell you what to do to beat them. Yeah. You know, th that never happens in any other sport. You know, you don't see Djokovic telling Nadal, listen, that serve that you do, that's not how you do it. Okay. Put it on that spot over there if you want to beat me. Uh, but I'm wrestling. Yeah, everybody uh, everybody tells everybody everything, every trick. Yeah, that, that stuff goes away, though. It so, does. Yeah, I think that's a symptom of an early sport where everyone in the sport has the passion for the sport. I think as soon as money starts to get injected into the sport, yeah. it goes away. People aren't as friendly when the millions of dollars are on the line. Yeah, well, that's, that's probably true, too. Like, yeah. when, when it comes to... You know, Devin and, and, and where he's at in, in, in the sport, you know, everybody calls him out. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. But, no, you wait or you climb the ladder or you do what I've done to get there and then, and then you can pull me. But, so but, but see, that's, he's in that position now. That, that's where arm wrestling, I think, again, we're a little bit different right now. Because if, if some random arm wrestler went to Devin's house, like, tomorrow, and was like, it was like, you know, arm wrestle me, Devin, <laughs> Devin would like, be like, yeah, okay. Whatever, you know, he would invite the guy into his house, you know, yeah. he, he would probably, you can probably beat the guy and then you'd probably show him like what he should be doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to go to, let's say Michael Jordan's house or some random basketball player was to go to Michael Jordan's house, he'd just say, get lost, you know, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> so it's, it, we're at this point where I think the athletes um, are still very accessible for the most yeah. part. And That's the best part of the sport so far. Like, yeah. you know, the fact that you could train with and like in Ontario, you could train yeah. with legends anywhere in Ontario. Yeah. You know? And, and that's where I, I, I guess I lucked out when I moved here, right? Because mm -hmm. he, he literally is just down the road. It's like a two-minute walk. Then from here? It's literally just down the road, yeah. That's wicked. You just kind of, I don't, I don't want to dox him on uh, the podcast, yeah, yeah, but you literally yeah, just yeah, go yeah, down the road, yeah, you yeah. do a little zigzag, and yeah, you're there. <laughs> that's wicked. Yeah. That's wicked. No, when you have, you know... Uh, Earl Wilson, my ghoul, like all these legends that have been world champion many, many years. And then you go to an event and, you know, they talk to you, you talk to them, you, you're friends, you have a drink yeah. together. That's, that's the best part that, as you said, you know, they're still somewhat accessible to everybody. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think we can take a look at, like, well, I think the UFC and MMA, I think it's a good example for a lot of reasons. One, one when early MMA was just starting to kind of hit the yeah. mainstream, excuse me, you could essentially train with anybody. You could go to a top MMA gym and you could just go sparring or in training or do some jujitsu with like some of these top, top, top level guys, right? Yeah. Um, but then as the money's starting to get in there, it becomes more dangerous to yeah. like have a random guy come to your gym and then potentially get yeah. really hurt. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, cause if you're just fighting for fun and you're fighting for like, you know, 500 bucks on the weekend, like, you know, whatever you don't really like, you don't really care that much. But yeah. now if that weekend, yeah. it's like, you have the chance to win $15 million. It's like, okay, I'm going to mitigate my risk a little bit. I'm not just going to have everybody yeah. come in here and 
training. Yeah, right? because for that at that level, every every athlete had has his team. You know, they do training camp. They go away for months at a time to get ready for the. You know, yeah. the uh, low-level athlete that is, you know, I, I call it low-level. It might be high-level, but they're not getting paid yet. They don't have a team. They will wrestle anybody. They will fight anybody, you yeah. know. But getting those opportunities, uh, that's when things change, for sure. Yeah. And, and and another thing that really changes things, too, which is mm-hmm. kind of a taboo thing to talk about, is is the drugs, right? So uh, how how does that work with uh, MMA? It's a... It's a illegal is it legal because you look at conor mcgregor uh, mcgregor right now and you see his shoulders and you're like this guy's eating some weird chicken so i can't speak too much on him um but i've talked to a lot of people behind the mm-hmm. you know behind the scenes and it definitely used to be worse yeah. so like well you can even see it right you look at the early ufcs and like pride back yeah. in the day you see these guys like there's no way you're ever gonna look like this you yeah. know just eating chicken and rice yeah. right like these guys are jacked, like 300 pounds with like an eight pack. Now, like, do you think to be an elite mm-hmm. level fighter, do you have to be on the juice? So I think, I think fighting's a little bit different because I, I don't think, it, I think it helps obviously, right? But I feel like uh, it depends on your style of fighting. So if you're somebody who's very high pace, like wrestling, for example, wrestling it, it makes way more of a difference than striking because i feel like there's a lot of guys that are natural i think that haven't done any drugs or very few that it's just their technique and their style and their reflexes right like the the way that fighters can process data so like again i want to use anderson silva as an example like there's certain fights that he almost goes into the matrix where there's one fight i think it was against like forrest griffin when Forrest is throwing punches and he's trying to hit him and he's just yeah. literally just like moving out of the and way. He's hit him one time. Yeah. And I think Forrest, I think he even kicked, I think he threw a head kick and he just like leaned back like out of it. And I think even if he was doing drugs, I don't think it would have mattered. Like you need to kind of be in a zone yeah. to be able to, to perform the way that he did. Right. And that's like, that's instinctual. That's like your reflexes. That's just raw speed. Um, and it's just like, you know, ring yeah. iq right your yeah, 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 your yeah, intelligence yeah. to be able to to do those things at that those particular when times somebody's coming at you yeah right so i think in those situations like i don't think the drugs would help mm-hmm. but again if you ask like take brock lesnar for example right so brock lesnar as far as um all-around fighter goes he's not really that good mm-hmm. right and i'm not saying as an insult like he's freaking brock lesnar like yeah. he's huge he's a yeah. good wrestler but a good, if, a good hammer fist yeah yeah but you take brock lesnar and you kind of shrink them down. Like, do you have somebody that's going to be the heavyweight champ? Probably not, mm-hmm. right? So it, it depends a lot on the style. Whereas in a sport like arm wrestling, it's very strength-based, right? So obviously any sport or any style that's going to favor strength, yeah, drugs are going to make a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and cardio too, right? So another kind of taboo thing is there's people that are doing like EPO and other drugs like EPO that essentially allow you to run at full steam for like really long time. So yeah. I've, I've never, I've never actually trained with anybody that's done EPO. Um, but I've seen performances of guys yeah. that have done it and it's like, it doesn't, it almost doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. I don't even know what EPO is, but I've, I've mm-hmm. heard of arm wrestlers at a, at a really high level 
when they go and compete against Europeans because a lot of athletes from Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, they're they're using steroids. And to be able to level up with these guys, you have to go over there juiced up, or you're not gonna, you're not gonna fare well. Yeah, it's, and I think that's kind of the, well, I think it's the unfortunate part of every professional sport, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like arm wrestling is kind of well, it's unregulated, right? Like, there's no mm-hmm. testing. Well, but at the WAF there is, at the at the WAF events they do test, y- and yeah, but. And, even if you test, like if you look, again, look at the UFC, for example, right? Like they, they for sure do testing and they do expensive testing. Are people still doing it? Yeah, for sure they are, right? It's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it's a science. They know when to stop. They know when yeah. to maximize their yeah. opportunities. And, you know, it's especially Eastern Europeans, like it, it's, it's been, they've been doing it forever and they have it yeah. down packed to a science. All the Eastern European guys are going to hate you now. The fact that you said that. Yeah. No, no, I, I just <laughs> said Eastern Europeans. You know, I didn't say you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think even even once arm wrestling gets to the point where they are doing like drug testing in all the major leagues and it's it's there, I think it's an unfortunate part of sport, right? Like yeah, yeah. people's desire to win is really high. Like, I honestly, I think even if you take the money out of it, yeah, I think people will still do drugs to win. Like, people are so, high-level athletes are so competitive. I think most, not, I mean, not most, maybe I'm generalizing, but a lot will do whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever it takes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they've invested so much of their life to whatever sport yeah. they're trying to be a lead at, and they, they could see that that guy's doing it and he's the step step above. Yeah. And if they want to get to that next step, like at the end of the day, either it's a choice, right? Like, yeah. do I want to get there or not? And nine out of ten times, you know, people people try it just to see if it will make a difference or not. Yeah. And again, I, I've personally never done anything. I'm not against it. Like mm-hmm. maybe I mm-hmm. will at some point. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But right now I feel like, you know, whatever. It's not worth it, right? Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of people that have dabbled with things and I don't want to say this because I think it's like advertising steroids, but for some people, yeah. it's like magic. It literally yeah. is like magic. Like, Oh, for sure. A really good friend of mine um, used to lift weights together uh, when we were younger. And uh, I remember at this point in time, I'd already been lifting weights for quite a long time. I think, I don't remember exactly what I was lifting at the time. Maybe I was benching like, you know, 270, 280, like mm-hmm. kind of in that range at that time. And most of my lifts, I was like almost 100 pounds more, right? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I think I was doing about 280, 285, and I think he was benching around 185 at the time. Yeah. And he'd done drugs before in the past, like he's on and off. And I don't remember exactly the compounds he was taking, um, but he literally went on a cycle of something. And I think it was no less than like three, maybe four weeks. He was lifting more than me on everything. On everything. Literally every like. His intensity of the gym completely changed. Yeah. Um, his attitude changed. Like he was more focused, and yeah, I, I noticed he was breathing a lot heavier. So like after his like heavy heavy lifts, like he was like extremely gassed. Um, but it was kind of incredible yeah. to see because he literally yeah. went from benching one eighty five to benching like three twenty three thirty. Like it's the like the jump. What it, it was yeah. it was impressive. Significant. Like, it was significant. significant. 
his, his whole body composition changed. Yeah. Like his body, if you were to like take his head yeah. off and you were to put both those bodies side by side, even after, let's say like three, four weeks, you'd be like, nah, it's not the same guy. Yeah. yeah I've seen that too. Yeah. Uh, this guy in high school, like skinny kids, skinny, like, you know, weak people used to make fun. I didn't see him for a while. Then six months went by and I saw these guys. I'm like, no, this is not the same guy. Yeah. Like he, had, he must've taken everything that was out in the market. Like this guy gained like 60 pounds of muscle. I, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. How, you know, uh, juice could change your yeah. body composition that much. I'll, I'll say this though. It, it it's either, Again, I, I don't 100% know, but I think it's either the way that people do it or there's a genetic attribute to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, because I do know people that have done a lot of drugs and they never really got very impressive, right? Like I know people that have literally done it. Like I have a, another friend of mine who like he ruined his body. He got all kinds of health problems because yeah. of it. Um, and he never really got to a level where you were like, oh, that guy's juiced. Like you'd never know. Like yeah. he would never know he did any drugs yeah. and he did a lot of drugs. Yeah. Whereas, you know, my other friend that I was talking about, um, I don't think he did that much. Yeah. But he was putting in the time, work hard. I maybe think. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just certain people are just not willing to push themselves yeah. to that point. And then maybe the people that are, if you add drugs to the mix, that's what really yeah. makes a difference. Or maybe there's a genetic level to it as well. Right. Whereas yeah. what two guys do the exact same drugs work out the yeah. same and for whatever reason this guy and, just I, and, works I, and I think it becomes sort of an addiction too because yeah. you see you know when you go to a gym for years and years and and you have a certain body type but then you see this guy that just came into the gym and then you see them three or four months later and and they look different and I, I've, I've had friends that have been doing the juice and they it's like they just keep doing it because I don't know if you like that the work it shows like ten times more when you do drugs than when you don't. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of people and, and a friend of mine, he was into uh I don't know if it was no, it was strong man kind of type. He's like, Yeah, it's it's addictive. He says, I went sure. to a competition yeah. in England, uh, and before I left, I he says, I couldn't take this shit with me. Mm. So he said, I had to do like double the stuff that I used to do yeah. just because I wanted to be ready for competition and stuff. So, you know, this, these guys go overboard sometimes, I think. I, th I think it's everything. Like humans are addicted to everything, yeah. right? Like we're addicted to sugar. Yeah. We're addicted to, yeah. you know, alcohol. Yeah. We're addicted to, yeah. you know, drugs, obviously, right? And, and steroids is a drug. But yeah, I think it's, really powerful compound right like something that can literally just make you stronger and feel awesome yeah yeah i uh yeah. guy one time told me that if you do uh steroids and don't work out you will have a better body of somebody that doesn't take steroids and work out well i, I don't know if that's true but he says i stopped working out this guy mm -hmm. says i stopped working out for the last five months but I haven't stopped, you know, the juice mm -hmm. and I haven't changed. Yeah. I don't know if he was doing his pull-ups or push-ups or whatever, yeah. but it just, it just stays. Now you stop and I guess, you know, 50% of your gain mm -hmm. will be gone within a couple months probably. Yeah. You know? And I, and I think 
I think there's a genetic component to that. I think there has to be, right? Because I, I know I know some people that, you know, have never worked out a day <clears> in their <throat> life. And you could put that guy in a gym and he could probably bench, you know, two, three hundred pounds, <clears throat> you know, just because yeah. they're just monsters yeah. naturally, right? Whereas you take a guy that's been working out his entire life and he'd never be able to yeah. bench press two, three hundred pounds, yeah. right? I don't think benching is uh is critical for arm wrestling anyways you know arm wrestling to me it's bringing things this way it's pulling yeah not pushing right Um, i think there's something to it though right because if you're you're pulling the person in and then you're kind of bringing them down i think your chest is engaged a little bit right yeah well the the only time that you might use some of those muscles um that you do for for bench is when you're pressing, I think, yeah. when you're pressing. But even when you're hooking, when you're hooking, it's always bringing things to to your body. If you For can sure, extend yeah. your opponent, you know, an inch, it's a mile on your favor. Yeah. Right? Well, which is good for me because I've never had, you know, I've never been super strong on bench. Well, could, you're talking about 250 to 60 to 70 at some point. That's heavy. Uh, yeah, not compared to some of the guys I've trained oh. with though. Like the, the, the heavy, the most I've ever benched, um, was 365, but I literally, I spent, I think almost an entire year, like really focusing what is it, on like it. Four plates aside or something. Um, I think it's three plates and then a 25 on each side, yeah. I think, you know, three, yeah, it's 360 or 365, yeah. something around that range, but I'd only ever done it one time where I was with a, a buddy of mine, and this is when I used to work at Algonquin College. Yeah. And um, I, I would just go to the gym every day at lunch. They had a really, really nice facility there, and I happened to run into him there. And he was doing bench, and I was like, oh, you know what, let's just let's yeah. just try to go as high as we can go. And we just kept putting it on incrementally. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, it was like 360 or 365. But if you could do and- 365, you could probably do 300 easy, like not easy, but regularly, right? Um. I think at that time my workouts were mostly five by fives. So I was doing like I it was very rarely that I would try to do maxes. Yeah. I would just do maxes once in a while. And my five by five bench, I think, was 265, I think, or 275. So I'd do five by five, 265 or 275. Yeah. And that was it. Like, and then what I would do is every actually there's a program that I found mm-hmm. online. It's, I think it's called like the Russian Experimental Weightlifting Program. And it's a program that some guy did for the Olympics like one particular year. And they put an Excel sheet online so you can just put your lifts in. Yeah. And then you can essentially just follow the plan. And that, when I was following that like to a T, yeah. that's when all my lifts started to get like really, really good. Yeah. And the way it worked is you put in your 100% max on like uh, bench press, deadlift, shoulder press, squat. And I think your cleans or, or clean and press or something. It was just cleans, I think. And then it would essentially just generate you a program based on that. Yeah. And then at the end of every time you do it, so I think it's like three or four weeks and you go through the plan and then you do a max. And I think every time you end at like 105 or 110% of what your max was. And then increase. You, yeah. And you, obviously you don't make it all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah but whatever yeah, yeah. your max was at the beginning. So let's say you're benching like 100 pounds, you would do it. And then at the end, you'd probably bench press like 110 or 115 yeah. pounds. Oh, those amazing. Yeah, it, it worked pretty well, but it obviously doesn't scale forever, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. the more times that I was doing it, I would incrementally. No, but those programs are amazing. My brother started running. Uh, 
he's a couple of years younger than me, but he uh, he started running last year, and the program that he started, uh, he like he's like it was a little dumb because they made me walk one block, run one block, mm-hmm. walk uh, four blocks, run four blocks. Like it was really slow increments. Yeah. But then two or three months later, he's running two hours nonstop. Right. Which if if you don't get into one of those programs that you know they've been studies made over and over and over. If you follow it, and and they actually pass it to me, I'm, I hate running, but <laughs> I might I might start. Um, it running's something I really got to get into it. Yeah, I th- I think it's all about yeah, like progressive <clears throat> overload, right? Like always, yes, always adding a little bit more. But then I think rest is important too, because I think the particular program that I was talking about, it was you know you would do this thing for like three four weeks, and then you would rest a week, and then establish your max again, right? So the week that you were doing, that you're resting, you weren't supposed to lift any heavy weights. You're just supposed to do light cardio. That was it. That's amazing. Yeah. So, but, but I guess certain attributes, like I think speed and like endurance, I don't think the rest is that important. Uh, that important. I think if, yeah. if you want to be an endurance athlete, and again, maybe I'm wrong, mm. but I feel like you could probably yeah, push yeah. yourself. I think rest is more for healing Yeah. and, uh, you know, just let everything come together. Like I, you know, coming back to Devin, like I see how hard he trains and then, you know, prior to an event, like he just stops. I mean, he still does the blood flow yeah. exercises and stuff, but he does, he changes completely uh, yeah. to, to just heal, you know, uh, seeing this guy progress, it, you know, in the last 10 years, seeing how the Russians train, how the Ukrainians, how, you know, Devin used to be a guy that would max out every workout. Mm-hmm. Now he said he doesn't. So and and he's had more success. But see, I, th- I think it's an age thing too, though. I think I think when you're younger, you can just abuse your body yeah, yeah. and just destroy it. And then the next day, like mm-hmm. you're awesome. Where I think I'm starting to feel it now. Where I'm in my late 30s, I can't I can't really do it the same way. Like I used to push myself super super hard when I was in my 20s. Yeah. I can't, I can't do those same kind of workouts now. I, I try, I try, but the next day I don't feel the same. Mm-hmm. I feel like now if I push myself like that, I would just be breaking everywhere. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. age. You know, there's not a lot of good things <laughs> about aging. There isn't. There is a few. There is a few good things about getting old. And, you know, one of them is just saying what's on your mind. Love that about getting old. You know, you just don't, don't give a shit. So, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But, Aging is uh, horrible. It's it's interesting because I I feel like within the last twenty years, <clears throat> our freedom to say what we want to say is kind of dwindled a lot. That's the, why you know comedians they can't be funny anymore because right anything they say you know they used to they used to make fun of you know gay people they used to have funny jokes about you know, Spanish people, Asian or African American. Now you can say anything. I think it's actually more dangerous than that. Because if, if you look at, think <clears> of <throat> the dumbest thing that you did when you were in high school, right? Oh, I and got now, so many. And now imagine that there was YouTube videos <clears throat> of all those things on the internet. Imagine your Facebook was just full of those things, right? Like, and I hate to say it, it it's, it stops people from getting jobs, right? Like if you do something dumb enough, 
and it ends up and again when you're young right you're 14 15 years old yeah. you do stupid things and now those things are on the internet forever for anybody to see you can delete it you can try right you could try but but it's there yeah somebody has it somebody has it so now when you try to apply for a job um i know i've done a lot of hiring and i hate to say it unfortunately i've definitely not hired people based on what i've seen on their social media really yeah Yeah. you gotta scoop a little bit you gotta you gotta go through their through their stuff a little bit (laughs) so one of the people that uh and i I don't even want it i'll i'll say it but one of the people that i was uh, in the process of hiring for uh, another job that I was working at. Um, he seemed like a good candidate. He interviewed very well. Um, but then when I went on his social media, he had a video of him urinating on an animal. And to me, that is, well, it's, it's bad judgment. I don't think you should go urinating on animals. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think it's even worse judgment that you put it on the internet. Yeah. So to me, it just says that that person's Judgment's no. not very good, right? And he's probably not a very good person if he's yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's on doing it. something like that, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So had he not had that on there, yeah, he probably would have got the job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've I've heard that before. I've yeah. heard people not getting jobs because of you know yeah. their uh, their social media. Yeah, and, and and I feel bad for the guy because I think the video of him doing that was a bit older, right? Yeah. So hopefully he learned his lesson, but the fact that he kept it up and this was on his own personal social media, the fact that he kept it there, yeah. in my opinion, was a very, very bad judgment. It was judgment. even worse. Very yeah. bad judgment, yeah. yeah. Uh, one more thing I, I wanted to touch on, and, and you know, we've been switching between, yeah, been between topics. What do you think about the censorship lately when it comes to a lot of stuff, a lot of, including this, this this COVID thing, and I understand if I get banned for putting something or or saying something. But what do you think when when an expert on a certain field gets banned because what they're saying doesn't fit the uh, the narrative? And and you know we've seen a lot of that as yeah. of late. So uh, I have I have a lot of opinions on it. So I'll try to keep that short, but. Um, yeah, I think censorship's never good, right? Like, I think in an open society or a free society, the good ideas rise to the top, right? So if you have a pool of ideas, the ideas that are the best, those are the ones that are going to they're gonna yeah. come up. And those are the ones I think, as a whole, people are going to support, right? As soon as you start, start nerfing ideas and nerfing speech, one of two things is going to happen. So the one consequence is those ideas are never going to get debunked right so if it's fake yeah, yeah, yeah. right if it's fake news you're no, you know there's nobody there to essentially say that it's fake because you're censoring it right the other thing that happens is people's minds start to go in different directions it's like okay well why is this being censored right like this seems like it shouldn't be but it is and now all the conspiracy theories around that maybe they are true maybe they're not but you're validating the conspiracy theories now right yeah, yeah. so with um dr malone i guess he's one of the people you're probably referring to right uh, well, there's a few doctors and experts yeah. and, and biologists and, that are being banned every single day. Right. You know, they devoted their life to a study and now they're releasing their findings and stuff and they're, you know, they are being uh, censored. They're being um, judged. Yeah. They're being, uh, you know, they're losing their jobs. 
Yeah. And and like I was saying, I think the outcomes I think can vary, right? So I think in well, Alex Jones, he's probably the best example. The everybody knew who Alex Jones was before he got banned, right? Mm-hmm. But when he got banned off of every social media platform, like almost at the same time, it almost gave him superpowers, right? Because now everyone was like, holy shit, like maybe Alex Jones is right about everything, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and at the end of the day, excuse me, I don't think he's right about everything. But yeah. there were some things that he said that were like yeah. pretty spot on, right? Yeah. But because they're banning him, now everybody's like, okay, holy shit, like what's going on here? We have to look. We have to look more into Alex Jones. We have to look more into what he's saying. Yeah. So if you look at what happened to his personal website, not his personal website, but his company Infowars and their app that they had, the second he got banned, it exploded, blew up, blew up, it blew up, and now all of a sudden Alex Jones is like, you know, the most popular, you know, censored guy, you know. Yeah. So not on the internet. <laughs> right. Right. He's the he's the most popular guy, you know, on the internet, but not on the internet, yeah. sort of thing, right? Yeah. And then, but they went crazy because everything that he was in at the time was being pulled down. So if there was tweets about Alex Jones, he was there pulled down. If people were posting videos on YouTube or Facebook, I think both, they were taken down like one after another, one after another. So, you know, in a way for him, it probably was good because by censoring them off those platforms, he was able to bring a mass amount of people onto his platform and then grew his audience from there. And he was making all the revenue right like before he was sharing the revenue with youtube now he's making it all yeah so i fine line it's a fine line yeah i just i i'm just not a big fan of you know this um you know uh, banning of you know freedom of speech i can say whatever whatever i want yeah you know it doesn't mean i'm right but i am free to say it you know uh why does your opinion is more valuable than mine, you know? Yeah. And I think I actually listened to a talk the other day where they were comparing what the internet was intended for and what the internet is now. So originally the internet was intended to be like a decentralized network, right? Where now it's gotten to the point where there's there's literally a handful of companies that control like 90% of internet traffic. You have Google, you have Facebook, uh, you have Amazon, and then I think maybe Microsoft and there might be another one at Twitter, right? Those are the, I think those are the big five. I might be missing a company. Instagram. It's, it's a, it's Facebook. A, oh, it's the, it's owned by Facebook. It, yeah. It's owned by Facebook. But so I think I might be missing one or two companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. but realistically, I think those are the five companies that pretty much control the internet. Yeah, they yeah. pretty much control it. Right. But the internet wasn't built for that. The internet was built to have, all these things and all these, you know, originally before URLs were the way they were, you were accessing, you know, independent servers. Like people would put up their servers, their own servers for their websites, right? Now, most- They, go, they got to go through them. Right. Well, now everybody's hosting through cloud platforms, right? Like if you want to host a website, you're probably not going to, well, I, I could, I have a server here. Maybe I should host my own stuff. But um, I think we have to go back a little bit and we have to decentralize things. So it's actually a project that I started a couple of years ago, which I've been thinking about playing around with it a bit again. Yeah, yeah. But I started working on like a decentralized social media network where everybody who has a device, they're hosting a little piece of the network on their device mm-hmm. while it's running. And I think that's the only way. And I think uh, that's going to happen more mm-hmm. and more now. Um, I mean, you've seen different app- apps now that are more secure and that you're not getting so much 
ban, I think. Um, well, so, something you got to think of, though, is a lot of apps that say they're secure, if you start looking into the actual security, not really that great. Not really. Uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, WhatsApp is a good example, right? So yeah. when that, WhatsApp is bought by Facebook now, and if you look at the terms of use that WhatsApp, and I, I use WhatsApp all the time, so I'm not saying don't use WhatsApp, yeah. but maybe think twice about when you're using it. Yeah. Um, I use WhatsApp all the time, yeah. uh, but now there's this Signal, there's this Telegram, there's some, some other ones that I'm not very familiar with, right. but they say they're better than WhatsApp uh, when it comes to uh, security, I think. So, so here's the thing. So WhatsApp, for example, they changed their terms of use to say that Facebook um, takes, looks at the data that you're using and they look at your messages and who you're sending it to but they can't read the messages, right? But they're using that data for something, mm -hmm. but they're very unclear. Like, oh yeah, you know, we study your data, but we don't know what your data is. Like, and you think about that, it's like, okay, well, how are you studying my data if you don't really know what it is? Yeah. It, doesn't really, it doesn't really make a lot if of sense. If you're not supposed to know what it is, how right, do you know? Right, right. And if you look at the way the, uh, you know, private key, public key encryption methods that they use, they're good, right? But they're not perfect. But the fact that all your messages are still stored in a centralized server, it allows a lot of vulnerability still, right? And I think a lot of these platforms, because they're centralized, there's always problems with that. So yeah. I think if you really want, well, like a man, you know what a man, man in the middle attack is? No. So if I send a message to you, right? If we're well, like me and you were talking right now, right? Whoever can hear a conversation they know what we're saying, right? Yeah. But because we're in a closed room, there's nobody around, we're pretty safe. The same thing goes with the internet. So when I'm texting you, right? The, like WhatsApp, for example, my message will go from my phone to the WhatsApp server and then it goes to you, right? Between me and the server and between the server and you, somebody else can inject themselves in, right? Like somebody can packet sniff the traffic that's going through and... And intercept whatever message conversation or whatever it is. Right. So not only can they like listen to the message um because if you know a lot about like way traffic routes to the internet no you, no i don't you're talking chinese ah, okay right well I'll, I'll try to kind of explain <laughs> but you essentially from your home right to wherever the facebook data center your message will bounce to a bunch of different places yeah. right it'll bounce through a bunch of wires it'll bounce through other data centers it'll bounce through different networks anywhere in between that chain like somebody could literally and again, it's not likely, but somebody could tap into your, um, the line that goes from your home to the, uh, you know, the phone tower, and they could tap in that line and potentially sniff the traffic, right? It's not a likely scenario, but like, there's people out there that are ridiculously smart, like hackers are, you know, there's some legit people in there that are, they're geniuses, yeah, right? These yeah, guys are yeah, super yeah, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially what somebody could do is they could listen to the message as it kind of gets routed through. And in worst case scenario, people can actually change the message, right? So I could be sending something to you. Yeah. Let's say somebody at the WhatsApp headquarters, right? They see this message come in and it's like, oh, I want to play a joke on Matthias. I'm going to change this to this and then I'm going to relay the message off. Not a likely scenario, but anytime that you mm -hmm. have an in-between point you're going to, it's always a yeah. possibility, right? The... Um, and again, I'm not saying people are WhatsApp are doing this. I'm just saying. No, but it, it, I'm sure it's happening. If if there is a possibility where a, a communication is not secure, yeah, guarantee you know the, there is the potential for people to do that kind right. of stuff. 
So I think that the best way to communicate in a secure manner is not to have a centralized server. So not a place where all traffic can go to, but take the shortest route to your destination, right? So if me and you are in the same room and we're texting each other, well, like, why are we sending our messages to Facebook or to WhatsApp, right? We should be using the closest way of communicating, whether that's Bluetooth, whether that's NFC, whether that's uh, Wi-Fi Direct. There's a lot of different protocols that can allow that, you know, closer communication, right? And if I'm here, right, and let's say you're two houses over, um, but my neighbor, he's the closest point between us. If he has some way that we can send a message to him and then it goes to you, then maybe that's closer and more secure than passing it through a wide network, right? So, Yeah, that's, see, that's where it gets complicated technology. To yeah. me, like... You know, when you explain all these things, are you trying to explain it in a way where I could understand it? Yeah. But it's still, it's, uh, you know, so complicated to me when it comes to all this. Because all of this new technology to me, to me, it's all new. Mm -hmm. All this, you know, even though it's been around for 20 years now, the texting and the internet, well, the internet probably 30 years now in the early 90s started, um, yeah. you know, blowing up. Now with, you know, just, Oh, just this equipment that you have right here, mm. it's, uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. Hey, I'm just in the basement. We're in a basement. This is all movie magic. Everywhere behind the camera is just garbage. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Make camera monitors uh, mm. everywhere. Yeah. Well, Supercomputers. Yeah. Well, this is actually a really accessible setup. Like what I have here, you, you could set this up at your house for not that expensive. Whatever. No, you could. You could. You could. The... So if you want, I can give you kind of a rough price of what everything costs here. No, because I don't know how to put it together. But it's, so. it's not that hard. It's not that hard. So literally, these these are um, some pretty cheap USB mics uh, from from Amazon. Yeah. So I think the mic and the stands is about a hundred bucks. So the cameras are probably one of the more expensive things. These are Sony A six thousands. They're picture cameras, but they do really really high quality video. Yeah. Um, I bought both of those, I think between five and 600 bucks each. Yeah. I've seen people actually mm -hmm. um, film with those instead of the big things or, yeah. or different technology. They, they, everybody's using those. Yeah. Now. So, and that, that literally, that's the majority of the setup, right? Like the table could be whatever you want. Yeah. Um, the computer can be whatever you want. It helps to have a better computer, mm -hmm. but I, I would say for under a thousand dollars, you can probably get a computer that is powerful enough to do all the the relaying of the video and the audio and to actually have the screen switching and everything i'm using something called i think it's called auto switcher or something i don't remember the exact plugin but it's for obs which is open broadcast studio yeah. and automatically yeah. that's it for you yeah it's a bit of configuring but yeah it's not that hard we can yeah I, i've actually had a bunch of people ask me about like how i have this stuff yeah. set up so i might throw a video up yeah. there at some point just kind of showing it but yeah i would I will never do something like this for many different reasons. I'm not good at talking. I'm not good at interviewing. I'm not good at coming up with, you know, points of conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're keeping this thing going, asking questions, throwing this thing here and there. But yeah. Now you're good. You could, you could do it. You could do a podcast or something. Oh, well, man. you got a YouTube channel. So what's, what's the plan with the YouTube? I'm horrible at it. You could, you, you've seen it. You've seen, seen some no, of the videos. Great. It's great. You know, I just stick a camera in my <laughs> face like this and... Mm -hmm. I know that I will start feeling comfortable at some point. Yeah. I don't know to what extent, but, uh, you know, I have a message to, to relate 
and uh, I have to do it. Yeah, I have to do it. You know, I'm close to retirement. <laughs> I'm almost retired now because I'm out of work. But you know, I have I need mm -hmm. something else to do, and I think you know this little bit of charity and and thing. Um, I started the YouTube for a different reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I started the YouTube because I see so many people are unhappy and so many people, um, you know, need so many things. And, you know, being the happy person I am, I, I can't understand that. I I've been away from my family for over 30 years and, mm. I, and I do see them every year except the last two. Mm. Um, but, you know, just having a positive outlook in, in life is very important. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I started the YouTube thing as an experiment and it's just taken off to a different uh, place now, which, which I'm excited because I think the idea that I've had for about 10 years now is actually possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> so do you, do you have any, like, what's, what's the next thing? What's the next thing you're going to put out? Uh, this weekend. So tomorrow. Yeah, at some point, like, uh, because I, I do have a few demonstrations that I've been and, and, you know, I just, something comes up and I, and I tried to put it all together. Like last weekend I went ice fishing and I was there for like a week and a half and we went to my friend's cottage and then we went fishing and, you know, I take a few videos, a few pictures. And when I get home, I just try and uh, create a story day by day and just put a minute a day or something and just experiment and learn. Yeah. Uh, I have the cheesiest videos with, with my girlfriend, like on pizza date and great. Like yeah. look at it now and I'm embarrassed, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's a learning, it's a learning process. And, and, and I hate to put myself out there in a way, but I am somewhat antisocial. So maybe by talking to a camera and, and not seeing anybody around me, maybe that's easier. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, th I think, well, if depending on what you want to do with the YouTube channel, right? Like if yeah. you want to grow it, or if you just want to kind of document things, just all you got to do is look at the people that are successful, right? And then just see what they've done right. And then just kind of yeah. you know, use that as a, as a stepping stone, right? And there's a lot of people that are big on YouTube that have, they're pretty transparent with yeah. kind of how they got their channel to the way that it was. Yeah, uh, I've studied a lot. I, I've implemented 0% of it <laughs> Yeah, outside of... Uh, it, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to... Uh, get people to buy into certain things, yeah, you know, because, sure. because there's so much information out there. And, you know, when you, when you're making a video, you can make it over four or five minutes or nobody's going to, nobody's going to see it yeah. unless, you know, you are giving them something that is going to keep them, you know, entertained, which, you know, uh, obviously I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to uh, attract fans. I've, I've had a couple of videos where I've actually, you know, uh, just sat on the couch and said a few things and, and then I watch it and obviously I don't regret it because I know it's, it's, it's an experiment and, it, and it's, it's focused on the end goal. So however many years it takes me to do that, yeah, I'm good with it. It could be two, three or five or 10 years, you yeah. know, to me it's, 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 a, it's, it's just the place that I want to go. You know, and uh, if I never get there, that's fine. You know, it's all on a positive, uh, on a positive note that I want to get there, right? Yeah, no, and, and I think consistency is probably the best thing, right? Yeah. Like if you look at 
the people that have been on YouTube since the beginning, the ones that are consistent and the ones that are grinding all the time, you know, I'm not going to say they all make it, yeah. but I think the longer you stick to it, the more likely yeah. that your channel is going to get Look at Ryan Bowen. Ryan Bowen <laughs> says he, it took him four years to get a thousand, um, I think it was a thousand subscribers. Yeah. And then he actually got a thousand subscribers in one week uh, last month. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like the, the chain, you know, it's one link at a time, you know, in a long period of time, you're going right. to have a, a decent, decent chain, I guess. And it's also with, um, with niche channels, right? Like Ryan is focused, like, I'm not going to say hundred percent on arm wrestling, but like, let's say 99% yeah. of his content is arm wrestling. Yeah. So if he's constantly pushing arm wrestling content, as the sport gets bigger, his channel will naturally grow yeah. with that too. Right. And, and I think you're starting to see that with pretty much all arm wrestlers, yeah. right? Like pretty much every arm wrestler within the last year that's created a YouTube account, mm -hmm. their channels have gotten yeah, thousands overnight, right? Huge. I would say not huge in compared to like the rest of the YouTube ecosystem, but huge as in a brand new YouTube yeah. channel having 10,000 subs, you know, within a month. I'd say that's pretty good, right? Wow. That's pretty uh, good. You know, to me, uh, obviously I don't know how to do any of that. But to me, transparency is very important because what I want to do uh, at the end is like people have to actually know me as a person. Mm -hmm. And that is why like the 15 videos that I put out last year as a, the experimental year, you know, it's me. It's 100% mm -hmm. me, yeah. you know, and everything that I'm going to put out, I have no secrets. I have, you know, no agenda. I have, you know, I just want to be able to uh, tell my story and people to trust me and, you know, just go from there. Uh, and I, I think uh, it's going to take a little while, but uh, I think, uh, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it in my head and that's all I need, you know, yeah. that's all I need for me to keep going forward. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, just start, keep making content, right? I, I would say try to do one every week, do a video every week. Yeah. That's what I, that's what my goal for this year. Uh, one a week. If I can do one every week, then I'll do two one week, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I know this uh, this week, and I probably have enough content for a couple videos. Yeah. You know? And just do something crazy, right? Yeah, I love doing crazy. Yeah, do crazy, like jump out of cars. You know, what's 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 the latest viral video? What's that? I'm, I'm so out of the loop. <clears throat> I don't know cat videos. Just do cat videos, man. Cat video. Yeah, just video cats. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, you know, I'm a little wild in nature. Um, so I have no problem doing wild stuff, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old. I can't be doing too wild stuff or, or stupid. I don't care about wild. I just can't be doing stupid stuff. Yeah. You know? Uh, but jumping out of cliffs and, you know, I was snowboarding behind my Jeep, uh, last weekend and going crazy. That's all, you know, low key. That's all easy. That's all fun. And it's not stupid. Like I've done stupid stuff in the past that I, Probably would have filmed it. Now I'm, <laughs> you know, you just do friendly content and some funny stuff. But yeah. I've, I've got some stupid stuff. I've done some stupid stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. When the whole jackass thing was happening, me and my friends in high school, we filmed a lot. So actually, yeah. Guy growing up, I think Derek, I think has most of the footage. So if he wanted to ruin all our lives, he would just have to put that on, on YouTube and we'd all probably get fired. 
<laughs> instantly, yeah. instantly. The thing is that, you know, that jackass thing became so huge and they made so much money. Everybody thought they could do that. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah. And for the most part, a lot of the viral videos that are out there now is because of stupidity as well, right? Craziness and for sure. you know, shock value, you know, because if you're not giving somebody something shocking, it's kind of, you know, uh, pointless to watch. And I see my son watching this stuff of guys going through malls and just throwing food on people, like shit like that, like stupid stuff like that. I think it's, you know, it's not nice, but yeah, those are the, you know, it's got a huge market for that. There, there was a time when YouTube really favored prank videos. Yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah. a lot of oh, those yeah. things. There was the uh, like kissing pranks and then like, yeah. who is the guy's name? So there's a YouTube channel, like every other video would be like gone sexual. It'd be like kissing prank, gone sexual. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Feeding my dog prank, gone sexual. You know, like it was like these weird clickbaity titles uh -huh. and like the videos were terrible. But because they were kind of in that prank genre, and I think a lot, it turned out a lot of those pranks were like fake too. Yeah. So I think a lot of them turned out to be yeah. like actors or whatnot. Yeah. A lot of the uh, pranks nowadays too are set up. And, yeah. you know, if you do something stupid and it's natural, it's funny and it's yeah. going to get, but all this setup stuff where, you know, you can tell people have, you know, planned it. To me, there's, there's no value there. My, you know, what I want my channels to be about value added content where you watch something and you can take something positive from it. So every video that I think I put out, there's something positive in it. You know, if you, if you look at it, I think there is something positive that you could take that it will benefit your life in some way. Even the pizza day video that I did with my ridiculous. <laughs> one of the first ones that I did. It looks bad. I sound bad. It's it, so I look so uncomfortable. But you know, it was it was legit. She picked me up. We went for, you know, pizza and beer by the lake. Yeah. You know, but how do, how do you start? You well, know? I I know somebody you could talk to. He's pretty good at YouTube. Yeah, and talk to Devin, your friend Devin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've known him longer than yeah, me, right? Yeah. No, he I've I've known Devin for for a long time. He's and I learn, I learn a lot from him, and I, and I identify myself with him quite a bit. You know yeah. the way he thinks about life and the way he conducts himself. It's pretty pretty similar to the way I do it. So, you know, just just be you and try not to impersonate or copy somebody's style, and you'll be good. Yeah. So what are we? Uh, are we going downtown right now, or what? You want to go downtown right now? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I can go tonight. I think I have to go away till tomorrow. Yeah. I gotta wait tomorrow. Was well, there anything else you want to touch up on, or no, no, not in particular. I was just, uh, you know, coming here. I wanted to check out your studio and be part of it and just talk about life. That was, yeah, man. Uh, no, I think it was good. I don't know the exact time, but I think we went I for think, quite a while. Yeah, I think we went forever, but yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it was nice having you, Marcel. Thanks awesome. for coming out, man. Thanks, Thank man. We'll do it again for sure. Once I have like 50,000 subscribers, uh, we'll do it again.